Hello everyone, welcome to BYOB Podcast, first episode of 2024. Happy New Year. Um, we're going to go through all things New Year's resolutions and 2024 for you in a separate episode that we drop in in a few days' time. But to start with, we need to bring you our 23 in 23, our favourite films from the last year. To help me, as always, alongside me, Mr. Jack Hussey. How are you, sir? More good, mate. And just to, just to make it clear... No, we're not doing this at the start of the new year because we were too busy to do it at the end of last that year. We just we, we planned this. This was we purposeful, knew, wasn't it? Because, do you know what? And actually, I'm going to jump in and really double down on that. The <laughs> amount of films I've watched in the last eight days, it was like cramming for an exam. <laughs> it's genuinely like sitting there being like, oh my God, I haven't done enough. Get it Did in, get it, it in. Oh, mate, I loved it. I loved it. I, I, I reckon I, I think over the Christmas period... I might have got in a film a day, if not more. Ooh. It's so, nice though, isn't it? It's nice. Oh, that kind of... I loved it. Guilt free as well, because yeah. it's Christmas. Exactly. Um, where were you at, at Christmas time? Are you at you at the in-laws? Yep, down in Chichester. So, and so you've done you I mean, you did the the whole kind of like big Christmas and then did family for New Year's as well. Yeah. 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 Mate, you've put in the yards, put in the miles. Yeah. Driving up, down, left, right, here and there. You know, yeah. So you, I was, I was at home this Christmas, so I've had more wiggle room to do much smashing of films and much smashing of Christmas food. I put on about fifteen. I was going to say much smashing of uh, Cadbury's Miniature Heroes as well. Oh, mate, frightening! What's your kind of like poison? What's the thing that around Christmas you're like, I just can't stop? Crisps. Yeah, me too. Bowls of crisps. When the bowls of crisps get put out, you know, you know, like when your mum opens up the big bag of kettle chips, yeah, yeah, and yeah, pours yeah, 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 half yeah. of them into a bowl. It's just like, just keep pouring, mum. What keep are you pouring. doing? Come Why on. have you not got a bowl big enough that has the capacity in order to make sure we can get the entire bag in there? You know, you, you, you don't need to. You don't need to get one of those. You know, the IKEA preserve clips. You don't. You don't need to clip the bag no, up with that. Honestly, shall I tell you another thing? That you know, when this is so pathetically middle class. You know, when M and S starts doing the um, the like the the crisps that are all different shapes in the share no, size bag. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. mate. Like, oh, mummy. <laughs> honestly, they are laced with crack. Crisps. I they, tell you, mate. Like mate they I ate so many of them that, like, the next morning, the inside of my mouth was numb. <laughs> <laughs> is it salt and vinegar ones? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah honestly, yeah, like yeah. the lining of my mouth, something happened to me. I was like, Jesus, Ben, that's just, bad. I promise we are going to go into films, but just quickly, which one is your favourite shape? Um, the the one that is like it's like a a Walker's squares. It's like flat and okay. crispy. Because it gets a little, the flavour gets caught yeah, in the ridges, like, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, big. <laughs> well, God, I, I quite bad. like the wheel because the wheel one is light, but it's always sodden with flavour as well. Yeah, it so, packs, packs a punch. That yeah, it does. It yeah, does. It's, it's the Klitschko so, of M and S crisps. On films today, right? We're doing we're doing twenty three films to twenty three. But in no particular order, right? If, I, if I've yeah. got that right. Yeah, n- no order here because I feel as though you made a really good point to me earlier in the week is that there's been so many different types of film. It's going to be very, very difficult to say, right, it's it's these 23 are objectively the best films. I mean, we are mm. going to go on and do our top 10s, but that's, again, very subjective to, to each of our tastes. But I think we're going to go draft style. So... There will be films that miss out, and we'll have a definitive list by the end of the by the end of the pod. 
but we'll go one each um and very much a you go we go type vibe um nice what uh do you, do you want to kick us off kick us off with one of the first for 23 yeah Oof, i tell you what do you know do you know what i am gonna go with mate i'm gonna go with mission impossible dead reckoning part one okay because i feel it was released in a summer when there was a, a lot of excitement about barbenheimer coming up it got that brief little window just before Barbenheimer dropped to kind of do its thing. And I, I, I didn't really hear anybody say, oh, I didn't really enjoy that film. I heard a lot of people come out and be like, yeah, that was good. That was really, that was really cool. But then it left no kind of cultural imprint after that point because it just got completely derailed by Barbenheimer. There maybe should have been some conversations studio side as to when that film should have been released because... I really feel like it, it, it. The labor of love that it was for Tom Cruise that we we'd know of. I really think it came to fruition. I think it was honestly one of the. I think I said at the time because I was you know in that excited wave after the film, the best Giddy. action film I've ever seen. Maybe one of, but some at least definitely some of the best action set pieces I've ever seen in a film. The fact you have that jeopardy of knowing that there were these you know enormous lengths he went to to pull off, for example, the motorbike going off the cliff um sequence i just i thought it was a real real good piece of filmmaking slick it was a tight script was you know really 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 like non-stop action but the action set pieces were all so fun it wasn't like john wick 4 that i spoke about you know with quite a bit of disdain when we were reviewing it earlier on in the year john wick had been a franchise that I'm, i really do love um, but it just didn't, it didn't chime with me, John Wick 4. Whereas I think Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, which is a, I would say a franchise I'm meh about. I have, to be honest, I have enjoyed the last few films. Um, I can't remember which was, whatever the one was about nuclear bombs and all that. I really quite liked that one. That was decent. Um, Rogue Nation. I think it was Rogue Nation. Um, I've enjoyed all that. I've... But let me Not chuck this to you. Yeah, here's, here's the thing, right? With with Mission Impossible, I feel like this film was a much more memorable one within the franchise because you not you can you can give three or four big kind of themes or stunts mm. from it. I think there was a period within there that you probably have kind of forgotten about. So it has come back with a bit of a bang. Like it's it's yeah. made it's made an imprint. And you and I mentioned it on the pod at the time that Tom Cruise committed to to having a week in IMAX and nothing more just because he wanted to get his IMAX showings in there and then Oppenheimer came in and absolutely blew everything out of the water. Um, and- I think, can I just say one thing? Go I on think it. before part two comes out, I think they should try and get a limited run of Dead Reckoning part one back in the, cin- in the cinemas yeah, again. that's a shout. That's a shout. What was, your favorite, what was your favourite like, set piece? Oh, the train sequence at the end, I thought it was unbelievable. And I've seen some people say, oh, yeah, they stole it off of something else, a video game maybe or something. Oh, but really? Yeah. I, I, I mean, come on. A lot of these things all intersect. But, yeah, I thought I thought it was stunning. I thought it was, it was really, really well done. Also, memorable shout out to going around like Rome in the little kind of yellow Fiat, oh, that was good. I think it was. That was very good. That yeah. was very good, I thought. Yeah, nice. I think like, I, for me, the the reason why this would get, it did get into my 23 as well. So that's a shared pick. Um, it, the reason why it got in for me was like the level of commitment. We spoke about it at the time, but the level of commitment to the action in this was 
absolutely amazing. I think yeah. the story was a bit flimsy, but I think the the action was unbelievable. And to see him doing the the stunt off the cliff, I think that's that's unbelievable levels. Um, do you want one from me? Go on, mate. I am going to go for. Let's go for one of my. I'll go for one of my more niche ones that I don't think will be on your list. <laughs> I'm cheating already, trying to like crowbar in my ones. Um, I'm going to go with Passages, which okay. was one of my Christmas films that I that I watched, and it would be one that had been. I started doing the rounds of, of all the different big, I suppose, outlets that are doing their lists of 23, and everyone was talking about different films. I I found it really interesting, right, over the last week or so, seeing how subjective it all is. Some people, for example, being like, Bo is Afraid is one of the top five films of the year. And then other people, like myself, being like, it was one of the worst films I've ever seen. I hated it. And it just goes to show how much film is just such a subjective thing. But Passages was on a lot of people's lists. And I somehow just missed it. It yeah. just didn't, at the time, it just didn't I didn't really... even know it existed until you mentioned it to me. No, and it, I think it might have come out. Let me just check this. It was released in September. And, I, I, like, it must have had a fairly limited release. But if you want to watch it, I think it's on Prime at the moment. Um, and it's brilliant. It's so good. It's basically about um, a, a guy who's a film director, a bit of a narcissist, sees himself as a very deep creator... And he's in a he's married to a, a, another guy called Martin, played by Ben Wishaw. Um, and then he ends up having an affair with a woman, and it shows you kind of how someone's narcissistic tendencies can have their own sort of gravitational orbit. Basically, how the people around him can get dragged into a really toxic lifestyle. Um, and then what that toxic lifestyle ultimately will do to someone like that in the end. There's two relatively um, unknown actors that all go on and have amazing careers, I'm sure. Franz Rogalski and then Adele Exarchopoulos. Pulis, I think. I mean, very difficult pronunciation now. I hope I haven't butchered, butchered that. But she is incredible. And I think she'll she'll go on to do very big things. But it's a really, really cool film. And if you have a chance to watch it, I'd highly recommend. Don't make the mistake that I did. I watched it because I was watching it in bits and pieces because I was trying to cram all these films in. I watched it on a train. And there is an obscene amount of men humping in this film. <laughs> Quite graphic sex scenes that I was watching on the train on the way into London. And I saw multiple people <laughs> just kind of looking over. I was watching it with my headphones on. Shielding sort their of, children's <laughs> eyes. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then you sort, of, you sort of turn your phone and then forget that actually like the phone just reflects in the window. <laughs> so people are just like, what is this guy doing? That is... Is just so inappropriate to watch on a train but it is a brilliant film and a really really amazing study into kind of how toxic people can not just be toxic in their own world but the damage they can do to other people as well and i would highly recommend right sorry go on mate i went on for, for ages there give me no, another no, one didn't of your 23 it's good right um let's okay let's pick a bit of a more random one here then um I'm going to go with, and it was it's a late entry to the to the Ooh. 2023. Sneaking um, in through the back door. Yeah, Godzilla minus one. I'm going to go with. Oh, um, okay. It's a film that that took me by surprise. So I mean, we've seen plenty of kind of 
crappy Godzilla films churned out by Hollywood the past few years. But this is a return to you know the the IP return to Japan. Basically, it's, it's a written and directed by Takashi Yamazaki. Um, Japanese production, subtitled film. Which look, I think we all, we all huh? did the subs throw you, or did they work? No, not at all. Fine. Um, like we, you know, we all sort of know the story of of Godzilla. If not nuclear testing, off the you know into the seas of Japan, wakes up a ferocious beast, which comes to flatten Tokyo and and the rest of it. Um, the, the film stands up as a you know as a metaphor. I mean, the, I think the original film, the original Godzilla, came out in the late forties, early fifties um, in Japan, and there's some clear kind of you know metaphors there with you know it i, th- I think it, the, the film itself and from what i understand the law of um godzilla is it's a very self-reflecting self-effacing piece of literature there uh, godzilla can be metaphorical of america of the bombs dropped on hiroshima and nakazaki um but it, it's not to say that America is some kind of... I don't, I don't think the Japanese are, were intending this to be like a critique, a scything critique on America in isolation. I think the film is just as much about the, the you know, the, the kind of ills of the imperialist Japanese regime, which, lest we forget, was committing genocide during World War II, was on a, you know, on a horrific expansion throughout the East, um, comparable to what the Nazis were doing in Europe. Um, and I think there's a lot of shame and such felt by, you know, the country. And this all comes through. It comes through like some of the cultural epithets about like kamikaze, the the, the thought of a glorious suicide, notably with the, you know, the pilots that would fly into stuff at Pearl Harbor and everything like that. Um the film deals with a lot of issues that aren't just about a massive lizard coming to destroy <laughs> all of Tokyo, but it's still a really fun film. Like it, it, for all that, like I make it sound like it's some really deep thing. At the end of the day, it is still a movie about a massive lizard that comes to destroy stuff. The CGI isn't quite on par with what you'd expect from a big Hollywood blockbuster but in some ways that actually makes it a bit more believable gives it a bit more charm and places more emphasis on the jeopardy and the characters that are created within the world as opposed to let's just see endless explosions endless action endless fights between Godzilla and King Kong or whatever the latest iteration of it is this feels like a back to basics very strong monster movie which has more of a message behind it um and it's it's just it's great mate it's it's really worth it's really worth your time it's it, don't don't hear godzilla and think oh god here we well, go that was another why, genuinely, michael bay type movie that's, you know? that's what happened to me because because we, we've had godzilla v kong the new empire mm-hmm. we've had godzilla v kong we've had godzilla king of monsters we obviously had the 1998 godzilla with which i quite liked yeah, I'm yeah, I, I was down like that, that that soundtrack. We're did, going that, deeper underground. That was so good, yeah. and and I sort of think of that in in the same way that I think about Independence Day and those yeah, kind of yeah, end yeah. of the worldy style films, yeah. which I really really enjoyed. That pre millennium, uh, yeah, kind of probably yeah. proper Y two K vibes. Yeah, it was like I I I enjoyed that one, but I 
have there's been so many iterations of it in the past few years that are just clearly just kind of like fodder for a bit of box office cash without mm-hmm. being that they haven't done enough so that's really good to hear actually that it's a little bit different um and one that you the soundtrack in this, I tell you what, they've got the classic. It got sampled by Pharaoh Monch for the tune Simon Says. No but the, the oh, big I love that. Oh, when that kicks in, when you see the monster rising out of the sea and you hear that kicking up, mate, no, oh, that's amazing. Honestly, that's really, well really good. Well that's good. really cool. Um, Right, let me let me take you into one that I'm gonna I'm gonna go open goal, very straightforward, no missing with this. Um, past lives, oh, uh, I'm gonna slap that right in there. Feels very early, but I just have a panic that we'll get to the end and we'll start running out of room and be like, what have we done? Um, but past lives for me, I mean, we'll get onto our top ten shortly, but it's gonna be challenging. The top of my top ten. I was so affected by this film. And I remember when you told me about it, 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 that was back in sort of October, November time as well, wasn't it? Um, Mm. And you'd gone see it at the cinema and said, listen, this is, this is really good, really special. Um, And I just hadn't got around to it. It was the first film that I watched of my Christmas run and it stayed with me. I think I've thought about it every day since I've watched it. And I watched it kind of maybe, I don't know, 20th of December or something like that. It's phenomenal. Unbelievable soundtrack. Amazing story. It feels like watching... You know, people are talking at the moment about um, there's going to be AI that can essentially in real time translate for you. So someone could be speaking another language to you and in real time you'll hear it in English. I feel like this film already did that without translating the Korean language. It was unbelievable. You're just sat there totally immersed within these three people's relationship and totally understanding of everything they're going through just by a look on their face or their body language or pauses in between bits of speech or that I mean the soundtrack was incredible for kind of progressing the story as well but it didn't lean too heavily on that it just was wonderful um and the the landscape and the 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 setting of it all um just so unbelievably relatable to so many different bits you can just sort of totally feel what the characters are going through and it for me is is a really really special film that I think is sneaking under the radar. I know we're going to get into this in a bit, but there's a lot of revisionism at the moment about what films are good and what films are bad after the fact, Mm. just because people seem to have short-term memories. I think this is one that is just aging. The the longer the time passes since I've watched it, the better and better and better this film gets in my mind, and I can't wait to watch it again. What do you reckon, mate? Yeah, I particularly loved like the kind of the poignancy of the idea that when you're mourning kind of because i think you can you can break this down and into quite a simplistic way you know you see quite a few people being like i know god that sounds so chin strokey and so like oh so simplistic but <laughs> i think you know you saw if you see a few people being like how how can her boyfriend like just sit there and let this happen and all this type of stuff but it's it's a realization that it's not even about the the relationship between the two characters it's it's about a relationship one has with oneself and yeah. previous versions of oneself yeah. where 
you're not all, you know you're not always mourning past relationships you pull you're mourning a point in time you're mourning a different version of yourself that maybe had a more optimistic worldview or just a different worldview um and i don't know whatever it is types of music or a feeling that you had or just the fact that your world gets smaller the older you get in some ways you know um, yeah that that lovely scene when they're sat in bed and he says how do I compete with that? How do I compete with that story? Um, and you you totally see it from his lens. You totally see it from her lens. You know, you see the fact that he realises that it feels like some sort of divine providence that's bringing these two people together. Um, and it feels like it's all it all could potentially go wrong for him. Whilst on that other hand, she's seeing it in a very pragmatic kind of, here is a kid that I had some strange relationship with that I don't know whether I actually even like. I mean, she, she he asked, her husband asked the question, is he good looking? And she was like, I think so. Like, yeah, probably. But she's very pragmatic and practical as opposed to emotional and irrational, you know, and I, I found that fascinating. Um, very, really quickly, because I'd love to put this on social. Um, can you break down what you thought the end of the film was for me? Like I say, I think it was mostly her, why she starts crying, for example. Mm, and the, I mean, you have that long scene of her sort of returning to her current existence, walking back along the street and the oh, camera works unbelievable with that. And her husband's just sort of sat there waiting for her, having a cigarette. And I just thought that was really powerful, but I couldn't quite place where her, her where the the level of like sort of grief that she was going through was coming from. I just feel it's, it's, it's that adult realization, isn't it? That magic doesn't really exist. You know, she was younger. She was not naive, but more idealistic. You have this sense yeah. that, you know, I've, I've got this affinity with this boy who I remember from my childhood. It's a link to being back home. It's a link to a part of myself, to Korea I'm American, but I'm still kind of othered when I'm in America. I'm still from somewhere else in a way. She had the conversation with her mother where I think her mother was sort of saying her Korean wasn't very good anymore. And she's like, yeah, but I only speak to you in Korean now, really. So I think she's struggling with her own identity as much as anything else. And with him sort of being out there somewhere, it was almost like a little box in her past that was like maybe somewhere in the warm fuzzies, even though there was a sort of yeah. pain that they never managed to, you know, make anything come from it. The fact that he almost made that relationship three-dimensional, all of a sudden he's there, he's there in the flesh, they've met. And the reality of the situation is, as she kind of said to her husband, you know, he's just, he's he's a Korean guy. Like it's, we're not the same. Like it's not culturally, we're different. We have different expectations on things. And even just their kind of like the awkward, strained kind of conversations that they had when it's all just a bit remember when, remember when to when we were teenagers or in our early 20s, whatever it was, the yeah. point that they have their relationship. You kind of have that awkward, I'm sure you've had this and it's, it's not it's not a slight on anyone that you've you've had in your life at this point. But, you know, maybe when you've met up with some old school friends that you haven't seen for six, seven, eight years, you were, you know, you're great mates when you're like 11, 12. And then you see them when you're in your twenties, thirties and you suddenly like, 
all that we're doing is talking about like teachers and stuff that we made fun of when we were like 12 yeah. and I'm now in my thirties and I'm, I have a real life now. I have a job, I have a partner and this is all just make-believe. This is another part of me. This is a version of me that's now dead. And I think that just hitting somebody, it's like that that magic's gone. He isn't just a warm, fuzzy memory anymore. It was a man who came across the sea to basically, let's be honest, try and win me over. And it just made, I think it just kind of reaffirmed to her that like, look, this is what life is now. You're an adult. Dreams don't exist. That kind of the romance, the magic that they had at one point was probably just some silly idea. And maybe that's even hitting her now as she's an older person and has more perspective on it. That's kind of the way I took it, you know? Um, yeah, it, it, it's the um, the cynical, realistic version of life slamming headfirst into childlike idealism, isn't it? Like that sort of doughy, misty-eyed view exactly. of the past being confronted by, oh, real life we're grown-ups we're adults um amazing film and we'll definitely definitely get on to talk about that that more in a little bit i think um go on mate what's next for you oh right do you know what i'm gonna have i'm gonna have a real like i'm gonna do a pull a complete handbrake turn tonally Ooh. now mate i'm gonna have an absolute shift here i'm gonna go with a film you should see in, from 2023 the pope's exorcist Russell Crowe. <laughs> oh, very good. Why did you pick the Pope's Exorcist? Because it's just so much fucking fun, mate. Honestly, it's 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 a silly, silly movie. You've seen it a million times before. Girl in nondescript place hears creaking floorboards, and then suddenly she's possessed. And I think it's actually a little boy. I can't remember. Um, either way. You know, a demon is terrorizing a family. Boy is possessed. We call in the Vatican's top guy to come in and sort this out. <laughs> you know all the tropes. It's all very silly, but it's got a a Russell Crowe who is now, let's say, he's probably in the autumn of his career now, right? Yeah, um, yeah. He's if he's probably twice, if not three times the size he was in Gladiator. So he's not, you know, he's not the 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 chiseled muscular kind of leading well he's pretty muscular to be fair but he's definitely not the chiseled leading man that he was um of yesteryear he's still as you always say to coin your phrase mate he's definitely got the dad strength those big yeah, forearms those strength. big hands yeah, yeah. oh mate yeah. unbelievable 100%. um but you can tell he's just having fun in this silly possession demon movie which honestly if you were if it's around halloween time or if it's just one of those I kind of fancy a silly horror movie that isn't going to scare the shit out of you, but is actually going to entertain you. That is well paced, that hits all the right notes that you want from that type of movie. The Pope's Exorcist is like, it's a good laugh. It completely unravels in the final act. Like it gets quite ridiculous towards the very end, but it's, you forgive it because you just see Russell Crowe clearly just really enjoying himself really having a laugh and it, it sounds so silly to say but in a film that is really has no right to be as fun and i would say as good as it is because it's 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 probably an objectively bad film right but <laughs> having a having a star like him in it it really ele and it really makes you see the power 
of a good actor. You know, when people are kind of skeptical, oh, what do actors do anyway? They just pretend yeah. this, oh, it's easy to be an actor, that type of that kind of skepticism that you hear. When you see a great actor in a really sort of film that would be so average where it anyone else, you see the strength of that, you see the power of it. And it's just, it's good fun. I know you don't like horror films, mate, but it's not a scary one. Like, right, it's okay. Not. I, you've charmed me. I will, I will, uh, I'll give, I'll give that a crack. You get I to see a will. big portly Russell Crowe riding around Rome on a little Vespa, mate. Like, yeah, it's, it's, listen, <laughs> it's he, good fun. Like, like you said, I, I feel like he's reached that point in his career where he absolutely, he just deserves that opportunity to, uh, to do what he wants, really, and just have, just have a laugh. Um, and we, we are going to talk in the next episode of the pod about films to watch out for. Um, Gladiator 2 coming out in 2024, which will be very, very exciting. Um, okay, let me give you one. I'll go, I'll go for a nice, easy one here. Um, shouldn't be too... Um, this shouldn't split too much opinion. Um, I'm going to whack Barbie in. Um, oh, yeah. Like, uh, sort of hit the klaxon, Barbie alert. Um it, it, for me, I think we can. We, we sort of did a, a separate pod on this, so I would encourage if you if you want to hear the, the review of that, go back and grab that. We did a separate pod on on Barbie Heimer, um, but Barbie just an absolute behemoth of a film. And I guess the question that I wanted to chuck to you on this, and I know I've kind of already flagged this with you, if we sort of put the film to one side for a bit, because I think it's a good film. I don't think it's the best film of the year. Um, do you think we should be taking into account what this film did for the marketing of films more broadly? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to sort of get away from the fact that this film was, the hype around it was unbelievable, right? Um, I can't remember the last time there was one like it. May never have been one like it. Even from things like putting the giant Barbie boxes in cinemas for people to go and pose in. Masterstroke, you know? Mm, genius. Like, unbelievable idea um i'm i think one of the main things i take from barbie is that it's it's brave I, what i think it has done is i think it's completely changed the game or hopefully will have done for what people should expect not can, not will expect or can expect because you know rights holders be rights holders but I think it should have shifted what can be possible if you've got a writing team, if you've got a script that's good enough, if you've got a director with enough of a vision that they can push somebody with an IP. Because we're not going to talk about it here, I don't think anyway. One of the biggest movies of the year is the Super Mario Brothers movie, which was such a paint-by-numbers, boring, risk-averse, tedious piece of crap of a film, in my opinion. We also had the, the what was the something at Freddy's? Uh, was it Five, Five Nights, Nights at, Freddy's? at Freddy's? Yeah, um, which is a similar similar thing, right? It's got a huge following, and they just didn't really land it. No, and and but whereas Barbie, I think it's really pushed what we can expect. I think a lot of people when they first heard there was going to be a Barbie movie come along, you're thinking, okay, well, trolls. Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, actually, I hear the Sonic films are actually very good. I've not, I've not watched them, but let's just stick with what I know, like the Trolls movies or something like that, where somebody's got an IP and they're just kind of making a fairly paint by numbers. Sure. This is all right. Like the Trolls movies, I don't have any visceral dislike of them. They're mostly made for kids, few jokes for adults, a bit of a vessel to put some big pop songs in there. Fine. You know, we know what it is. And I, th I do kind of think that that's people maybe what they thought Barbie was going to be. Barbie was not that. Barbie was... 
You know, I think Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach had a, an amazing kind of vision for this film. They really challenged the rights holders, Mattel, and I'm not sure who else. I'm sure there were various other you know, bodies involved in this that they had to win over. Um, but they managed to tell, you know, a really good, relevant, modern story of, you know, a doll that people, uh, I'm sure at some points have probably, you know, I'm talking like in 2023, I'll probably thinking, what is this old kind of patriarchal thing doing? Why are we having this toy of this sort of blonde bimbo, bad body image standards, whatever for young girls projected onto them type vibe. Why are we sort of platforming in this? Um, and the fact that the film sort of rallied against a lot of the toxicity within society um, actually had a good wholesome message and a caring message towards men, even though it tried to get packaged up as this man hating kind of nonsense film. I think it ticked a lot of boxes. I, th I do think it was good fun. I think Margot Robbie was brilliant in it. I think she was like absolutely sort of star of the show. Um, are you putting in a, you're, I forget, are you putting your in nominated for, um, for best, best actress? I think she'll probably be nominated. I don't think she should win it. For me, it's Lily Gladstone all the way, but I, I, I you know, I think she'll probably right, be yeah, nominated. Very good point. Um, I've got an, is, are we saying that technically, um, <clears throat> are we saying that the holdovers falls in 24 or 23? Well, it's a UK 2024 release, isn't it? Um, but it has already been released in the States and it's also done the festival circuits in the UK as well. So like a lot of people have seen it now. Um, yeah. So, uh, okay. okay then we were, cause I was, I, I was going to say, um, we, we, aside from the actual the actual film itself but D D divine joy randolph for me definitely 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 going to get nominated for best supporting actress just unbelievably good in that um but we won't go we won't go holdovers then um i will uh, wait is it my turn is it your turn it's, oh, it's your turn, turn isn't though. it go on yeah. it's your turn what are you having um i'll tell you what right let's uh let's pull this one back a bit now i want to go with I'm going to go with a killer, mate. David Fincher's Netflix okay, release. Nice, nice. Yeah, um, I, I sort of reflecting on this one. I think it it came with a lot of hype. I think a few people were. I I, I think it was resoundingly positively received. Uh, the killer. I think there were a few grumbles about like mm, maybe it could have had a bit more action. It could have had a bit more of this. I think a lot of people missed the point with the whole Smiths thing. You know, oh, it, over it relied too much on the Smiths. Don't, I don't like the Smiths. It's only pretentious people that like the Smiths. That's kind of the point of it being in there, right? You're kind of following this pretentious dickhead that thinks he's something. He's Super got some deep. higher purpose. Yeah, he serves yeah, yeah. some higher thing. He's a hitman. He's not like the rest of us whilst he's there eating from McDonald's, shopping on Amazon. It, 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 I think we said it at the time. Um and I think I borrowed this from somebody else. The killer almost feels like a companion piece to Fight Club. Um, yeah, yeah. In its sort of scathing social commentary about corporate ladders, about us all just ultimately being our piece in this big jigsaw of this sort of late stage capitalist society in which we exist. And I thought it nailed it as well as also simultaneously being a really good just Hitman movie. The yep. The... The fight, the fight sequence in the 
you know, I think it, I'm not sure where he goes. Is it Mexico or somewhere like that when he's fighting one of the other hitmen? Uh, possibly. Um, and and the, the the hitman is called the brute. Isn't yeah, it? the one that he fights. Drugs the really dog, cool. and yeah, it's great. I loved it. You know. Yeah, I thought Tilda Swinton, amazing five minute, ten minute. Yeah, sort of turn from her, absolutely incredible. The one, my one thing with this, um, is that I, 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 I feel like people would have appreciated it more if it had had a wider cinematic release. I think yeah, if yeah, this wasn't a Netflix film, people would be talking about it in a much more positive way than they did. And I think there was a lot of really intentional shooting around um, lighting, and I think that doesn't land as well on on small screen i think it's harder to enjoy that sort of thing when you're when you're sat at home kind of you might be sat with the lights on you might be sat with the lights off you might be watching on a mm. on a phone or on an ipad or whatever I, I i feel like we did fight club on the pod a couple of months ago maybe a month ago and that was a film that i loved watching back but i definitely felt like it was a real blockbuster, you know, go to the cinema and take that one in. It's a massive, massive experience of a film. And because this was a Netflix release, I mean, I saw it advertised everywhere, all over London, um, and I couldn't wait to watch it. And I really enjoyed it. I just think I I would have probably been shouting from the rooftops about this one had I gone to watch it at the cinema. And because it, I think there's something in the, the I think there's probably a bit of social comment in that as well within the film, the ease at which we can which we can do things. Yeah. Um, uh, right. Next one for me, I am going to go for, I'll go for another kind of very easy open goal because I know that you love this film uh, as well. Up there, very high for me on, on the, uh, the films of the year, uh, Rye Lane. Now oh, this yeah. was, you suggested this to me and it was one of those, like it was one of those suggestions that after you had made it and after I watched it, I'm like, Basically, anything that Jack recommends now, I just will watch <laughs> because it was that good. It just, it for me, this is kind of 2023's answer to Notting Hill. You know, it feels like very real, very authentic, very kind of, um, you can recognize so much of London life or the kind of like existence of being in London sort of in 2023 in comparison to the kind of, a more doughy-eyed we spoke about it with love actually as well to be fair but a very kind of doughy-eyed southwest wealthy version of doing romance in in london this was a lot more kind of on the nose and i loved it and i thought the the lead characters were both brilliant and the pacing of it was amazing yeah and the the cityscape stuff and the, the way that they just kind of cascaded through really gritty real bits of london that we all kind of go past every now and then in our day to day is just it was lovely i thought the script was tight as well like so it was tight. wasn't it so it nice was. and i loved like yeah um i also feel like there was a there's a real kind of like link laterness to it like the yeah. bef- like before sunrise it had it sort of similarly echoed that and like i say just the performances the two central sort of the two two leading performances their chemistry was just oh, it was amazing, unbelievable. wasn't it? So good. Like, just a lovely, lovely, really lovely film. Like, if you are an international listener and you want to get a better idea of, like, what London's like, this is kind of, for me, real, Rye Lane. Like, Rye Lane is it because it, it felt like the most sort of realistic, authentic, like you say, fun kind of representations of 
of London. Um, whereas, like you say, you know, we're often we're either treated to kind of two sides of London, which will be either the you know the Richard Curtisy type vision of London or the more kind of like you know geezer Perfect. football factory yeah. um, adulthood you, whatever you know type yeah, precisely. Whereas yeah. I think this is the a nice just and it, it, do you know what it, it, felt it was honest, funny didn't it? It felt it, honest. It was it was funny seeing a romance set in london as well like an yeah, actual because yeah. you're so used to seeing rome or paris or something yeah. like that right but an actual nice summertime romance going through the streets of like london i think it just felt real it felt raw and it was yeah a, a, like a really lovely film support british cinema as well where you can so buy this pay for it or you know wait till it goes on a streamer which you are paying for like don't torrent it. Don't do that with any films, but still, especially not this. Support small British productions. It's great. Do it. It's on Disney Watch at it. the moment. So well it? worth it. Well worth a go. And it yeah, it's fantastic. Um what you got next for me, mate? What do I have next to you? Let's have a look. Do you know what? I tell you what, let's let's should I should I do another tap in, mate? Should I have yeah, a tap in? I like the tap ins because I be feel a tap like... in merchant. I'm gonna have to go Oppenheimer. Let's yeah, do good. Oppenheimer. One of us needed to do that sooner rather than later. Exactly. Let's get it. It was the elephant in the room. Um, masterful. I think. I, I think there's a lot of, and it's, it's been winding me up a bit. It's been winding me up. I, <laughs> I know this is this is a bit on your mind lately. This kind of man, it wasn't that good. It wasn't no, it that was. good, really. It, it really I was. I think it was sensational. Christopher Nolan's kind of his dedication to his craft, to his storytelling, the scope of storytelling a pretty like a story about yeah okay he's the father of the atomic bomb but at the same time right it's a story about a pretty kind of weird neaky scientist dude that's a bit of a pervert that <laughs> wanted to like murder do you know what i mean like it's, it's it's kind of it's a strange it's a strange story it's a strange kind of hero to choose and the entry point to the story the way in which nolan told the story his as he always does his careful balancing of timelines of narratives the way it all wrapped up so smoothly wonderful film i saw it i saw it the first time and i was like wow i was most excited about when the bomb was going to drop when i got to see that happen and the events leading up to that the second time i watched it I had such an increased appreciation for what Nolan had done. Now I now I kind of understood the sideline with Strauss and everything like that a bit more. I understood a bit more about the trial and where it was leading to. I was kind of looking more at the the decisions that Oppenheimer was making to lead him to those positions, how he was getting people's backs up. And I felt like I could I could appreciate a lot more of the performances. Robert Downey Jr., who He's a guy I've always been able to take or leave, if I'm brutally honest with you. I do think he's a, I think he's a good actor, obviously. I think he was sensational in this. I think as Strauss, he was absolutely unbelievable. And I've always been I've always been a huge, huge fan of Killian Murphy. I do love him. Yeah, I love him. You know, I'm one of those basic lads. I love Peaky Blinders for the for all the toxic shit that everyone likes and makes fun of it about, but also for the fact that it's one of the most like most, I would say, real depictions of the way in which a generation of men were fucked up after the first world war, the yeah. impact that had on society. Killian Murphy is like, yeah, he's, he's, he really took that show to another level though. Um, he was great in 28 days later. And in this, he was, I think he was sensational. It, it, I, it, I, I can't speak highly enough about him. I, I really love the guy. Um, 
And feels nice that he had his go, doesn't it? Yeah, he's 100%. been waiting for his turn, and I feel like this is he for me is is leading the way in terms of best actor. He's he's the man yeah. to beat. He's the man to beat at the moment for that Oscar. Yeah, I think so. Um, but it's I think it's a brilliant film, and I I think you know it was it it felt like to me. I watched it in the IMAX in seventy mil, um, and I wasn't disappointed at all. The, the 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 craft, the way in which you know Nolan films it all on IMAX for IMAX, seeing it in its like native format, it blew it, it did blow my mind. It blew my mind. Some of the scenes in there were astonishing, and I I, I remember it's just one of those when the when the film finally ends, when you've got the kind of the closing kind of thoughts of the film and i won't ruin it for anybody that hasn't seen it yet um but when you find out what einstein said which is kind of one of the big cliff cliffhangers throughout the film um and you see kind of oppenheimer thinking really everything sort of settling swirling through his mind everything that he's created um and the potential for what it can mean for 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 mankind after that point and you, you got the sort of the intent. I think it's Ludwig Göransson. I think who the the who did the score for this, this big, like pulsing, booming, epic score, wow. building it up to this crescendo right at the end, and then bang, it just drops. Credits come on. I remember looking around. Everyone was almost like, like breathing yeah. out suddenly. Like, whoa, what have we just watched? Um, I do think that song as well. That 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 kind of piece of music is. The, the fact that you can instantly place it straight away. As soon yeah. as you hear it, you can place it and be like, oh, that's the Oppenheimer music. I mean, that tells you something in itself, doesn't it? You know, yeah. usually is usually with Chris Nolan films, you're like, right, Zimmer straight away. But um, this was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And yeah, in there for me as well. Really, really love this film. And I, I, do you know what? I'm interested to see what happens now because I do think that a lot of the revisionism you're talking about is is, is quite nonsensical. But at the same time, uh, because we've had Killers of the Flower Moon as well, I feel like it's in a quite a crowded space mm. um, in terms of decisions around award season. It'd be really interesting to see what what does kind of rise to the top. Um, can I uh, can I give you one? Go on. I am gonna go with. I'm gonna go a little bit. I'll go a little bit dubby on this one. I'll go with no hard feelings. Hey, and I'll do nice. I'll do this very very quickly. I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. I just it, I went to the cinema on a Friday night. Popcorn film, Jennifer Lawrence being Jennifer Lawrence and being incredibly funny. And I just it, it actually caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was. There's this really lovely cover of um Man Eater that's the sort of um the supporting actor in it, which is, let me tell you very quickly. Um, I want to say Andrew, yeah, Andrew Bart Fieldman or Feldman, who played Percy in the film alongside Jennifer Lawrence, who played Maddie. Um, it just, it was really sweet and it, it, it kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it at all. And it was a, it was a different kind of rom-com, you know, it, it, it was quite nice that it placed 
Jennifer Lawrence as the the character that you were rooting for, and it, it so often this has been uh, that's often been a, a guy and a bloke in that position. Her physical comedy is unbelievable. Um, the the way in which it kind of comes to a head at the end in a manner that you're really really not expecting, particularly the scene on the beach where she goes and beats the shit out of a load of young people, and there was like some nice commentary on the sort of TikTok generation, as it were, which I thought was quite funny as well. I just really, really loved it. And um, for me, it's it's one that, yeah, it's not going to be in the same category as some of the others that we've mentioned so far, but it is a really, really fun film. And if you're at home on a Friday night or on a Sunday evening and you're feeling like it's too cold and rainy to go outside and I just want to put on something that's going to make me feel good, this is right up that, right up that street. A nice bit of millennial kind of nostalgia dash yeah fear yeah. isn't it that kind of because the, the, the film is the sort of the central premise is her suddenly being like oh fuck i'm suddenly in my I'm mid to late 30s and yeah i'm not relevant anymore shit and i'm i'm that age that i used to look at and be like oh god look how old yeah. they are sort of thing and then you're like no i'm still young it's kind of almost yeah. the film's almost a bit of a pat on the back isn't it to be like don't worry like it's okay <laughs> everyone yeah. everyone gets to this stage which i think probably for you and i was quite a nice one to uh yeah. nice one to get our teeth stuck into what's next for you mate um what's next for me what is next to me do you know what? I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna do a controversial pick with you mate um and it's another late addition to this one i'm gonna go wonka um, okay okay do you, uh, can i tell you where this snuck in on my because uh, i did actually rank my 23 can oh, i tell you? you where it snuck in so it has snuck into your twenty three. It just snuck in. Okay, just. But you liked it, didn't you? You're a, you're a fan. I yeah. It, it really took me by surprise. Yeah. I can't believe that. Like I I really it didn't do it for me. Tell tell me why it did it for you. How did it I, well, stir I, you? Because I, I, I don't. I think maybe maybe in part it's a it's a low expectation thing. Because right, okay. well, even when I saw the trailers, I saw all that kind of thing. I thought. Phew, Willy Wonka prequel. I'm not. I'm not buying Timothy Chalamet as Willy Wonka, um, but I just. I thought it was fun. I thought it was full of life. Um, I, I loved the songs. I did, even though Pure Imagination is still the star of the show, which is yeah, kind of funny. Um, but I, I just, yeah, I think it's. I think it's. It's really, really good fun. Um, I, I, I was saying because because I, I know like one of your problems was that you know it was it's not as good as the kind of Gene Wilder one and everything like that. Which, yeah, I probably would kind of still agree with, but maybe part of that is our nostalgia, you oh, know, kind of definitely, definitely making definitely, us definitely. feel that way. But I, I, I sort of feel like it's a very different type of film, and I, it probably should be more compared with, ironically enough. Um, Paddington, you know, the Paddington and Paddington yeah. 2. I don't think it's, it's not sort of, I don't, Paddington 2 is an absolute masterpiece, right? It's, it's honestly, I, I don't think it's, it's a stretch to say Paddington 2 is maybe one of the greatest films of all time. Um, at least animated films. I don't think like Wonka's up there with that, but it stands up with like Paddington. I think the original one, um, I just think there was a lot of life, a lot of magic to it, which I wasn't really thinking would be possible. I, li I like the kind of the, a lot of the thinking, a lot of the, the thought behind the chocolate and the way in which it has these different you know effects on people. I thought it was really funny as well. You know, I did think it was really funny. I thought there's some really kind of good gags in there for, for adults too. Um, the songs are great. I liked the, the, the sort of the performances of the, like the chocolate cartel, 
Um, yeah, that was very good. Those guys, it was great. Um, I thought Hugh Grant was very, very good as the Umpalumpa as well. Very good, yeah. He's really enjoying himself as well, isn't he? Yeah, and it's funny though because obviously he's he plays such a big part in the promotional materials. Not really in it that much though. No, That's the no. thing. Um, but yeah, I, I liked. It. I thought it, it. I thought it breathed a bit of life back into the Wonka franchise after I think there's been a few missteps missteps sort of along the way you know i i, I wouldn't really buy in the the uh johnny depp one to be honest even though no. it was apparently more faithful to roald dole's kind of dark um source material um, yeah it, but that was the only thing with this that that kind of that, that i struggled with a little bit i actually i think willy wonka is a baddie I don't think he's a good. Oh yeah, yeah. This is and this is bright. This is not. This is not dark. This is not at all Roald Dahl esque. This isn't mean spirited. This isn't nasty. This is fun, yeah. light, funny, chocolate, isn't it? <laughs> like yeah. it's just yeah, it's, it's it's candy floss, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It really is like every every bit of it. But again, I would I would recommend watching it. It just was not for me. It got in there. It got into my twenty three. So I'm I am yeah. I'm 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 in. You've got to love, I, I have not been able to stop singing, there's chocolate, there's chocolate. <laughs> yeah, that was, to Wonka's be fair. chocolate makes your confidence skyrocket, you know. That was a, that was the yeah. best of the best of the banger. songs, I would say. That was a, a, that was a screamer. Um, let me give you one on that. Let me give <laughs> you laughing, the fact that I won't give you it very comfortably. Yeah, I can <laughs> just, tell you squirming. I just, I, I, it, it, I, it's in there, in my 23, I just didn't, I think it, I think it has a lot to do with like you said. Like you said, it, for me, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the book, represents such a special place for me as well as a kid. And then the film was so good, and the music was so good that this kind of felt felt short of it. And perhaps that's my own again. That's my nostalgia. Um, one I will give you that's sort of in a similar kind of vein, um, n- not massively similar films, but a remake of a something that we're both incredibly fond of um spider-man across the spider-verse oh lovely was amazing another one i watched over christmas i had no idea what what it was going to be about um and i won't do a very good job of explaining the storyline but my god there are so many films that do that the the theory of possible worlds is a is a like philosopher's wet dream um, but so many films do it badly, yeah. and this film does it incredibly well. And when you consider that it's motion graphics or cartoon, um, it, it's a it's a miracle that they've managed it, and it's it's phenomenal. Sort of takes the idea of what if there are thousands of possible worlds and. Spider-Man basically shouldn't go outside of his own possible world, but can't resist the temptation to try and affect what might go on elsewhere and the domino effect of that. But somehow it keeps it really concise while feeling massive. It also really controls the linear structure and stops things from getting out of control and just not being understandable. It's such a well-made film. And it's, it's also kind of like a part one type thing. There's another one to come. So very much looking forward to that. So that's in there for me. Um, Again, not in any particular order, but that's our 12th. What's, what's next for you, mate? Ooh, do you know what? I'm going to go with, I'm going to, I'm going to, do a bit of a darker one this time, mate. I'm going to go with Pearl. I thought um, you were going to go on. And now Pearl, like it, 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 it was a 2022 film in the USA, but it didn't come out until March in the UK. So I feel comfortable enough 
classing this as a 2023 film. Um, it's, it, you know, it, a film that sort of the idea around it is you've got Mia Goff playing Pearl. It's a prequel to Ty West's X film that came out several years ago, which was a, a decent enough, but, you know, fairly generic-ish kind of horror slasher movie bit of a throwback to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, those kind of 70s exploitation horror movies. Um, but this is a prequel surrounding, like, around the titular character Pearl, played by Mia Goth. She lives on a kind of um, farm, and like an isolated farm in the middle of nowhere. She's looking after her kind of, you know, her, her ailing father under this kind of iron fist of her, you know, pretty unpleasant mother. And she's just kind of lusting for a life away from that, away from this small world, American dream, white picket fence on the farm, somewhere or another. I'm not even sure where it is. I'd guess somewhere in the Southern States. Um, And she dreams of being like a big movie star. Um, And there's some auditions that come to town and she, it's, it's about her kind of trying to live this dream to try and escape from this very small world that she's finds herself trapped into. I mean, it would be classed as a horror film, I think, but again, it's not jump scares. It's not monsters. It's not ghosts and demons. It's real horror about the, the human condition about the, the luck of the draw that some of us have with our lives. How much freedom do we actually have? You know, what is it that keeps us trapped as as people, keeps us trapped in a situation? Do we do it to ourselves? Is it other people that do it? Why do we allow this to happen? Um, and the kind of the toxic corrosive effect of bitterness that comes with that, the feeling of being stunted, the feeling of not having the life that you want, not even the life that you think you're owed, just a life, the chance to live a life that you want. Um, and the effect that that can have on you. And it plays out in a, you know, in a kind of, in a blood splattered, almost comical way. But I was actually blown away. I was honestly blown away by the film. I went into this because there was nothing else on. I'd seen X and I thought, ah, fuck it. I want to go to the cinema. Let's go and watch Pearl. And I walked out thinking like, what the hell was that? Wow. Like, <laughs> unbelievable. Mia You're a big Goth. Mia Goth fan, aren't you, as well? Because she of this movie, mate. Like, but she then she was is... in Infinity Pool as well, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah, but in it, she is sensational in this. Like, so good. And like I still say to this day, it's got one of the most haunting end frames of any film I've ever seen. Haunting end frames and credit sequences where you are just sat there like, what the fuck? Can I leave now? I don't know. <laughs> like... You feel awkward. You feel so a part of the film. Um, it's it, I, honestly, I think I think it's brilliant. I think it's such a brilliant film. It really took me by surprise. They are they are making uh, an additional part to it. I think it's a sequel to X. So I think the storyline is jumping to the other end of the scale. I don't know. You know, I'm not. I'm not kind of the thing is because Pearl Pearl almost. If you haven't seen X, you don't have to. Pearl exists in its own little kind of world, I think. I think I said at the time, there are some little nods to X, if you've seen X and you're a fan of that whole kind of universe, if you like. But if you haven't seen X, doesn't matter. 
you know, it, it doesn't change much about what the story is. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's a, a, a real amazing film for me and really blew my socks off. What would you say, which film is kind of like more disturbed, Pearl or Infinity Pool? Um, mate, it's, it's tough on. They're both, you know, in some ways they're both quite similar. Because um, I didn't in, watch Pearl, but I did watch Infinity Pool after you recommended it and it is messy, you know, yeah, like in, I, I, in terms of what it does, like where your head goes. But Pearl is... It, and, Pearl maybe gets a little bit, I don't want to say silly, but silly. <laughs> but at least it's rooted in some sort of sense of reality. Infinity Pool is a, you know, it's a surrealist dystopian vision, right? So it's it's definitely more out there. I, you know, I loved Infinity Pool. I, I'm still toying with whether or not I'm going to do this as part of my 23. But um, Pearl is, yeah, it's, it's rooted in more of a sense of reality. And I think you could there's definitely a disturbing feeling to it but it's it's uncomfortable in a different way it's uncomfortable in a more real sense where with any of those kind of surrealist things any david lynch films as well you kind of you leave them being a bit like oh i feel kind of weird because i don't really know what i've just watched kind yeah of thing. like want to go home and take a shower yeah that's what infinity <laughs> pool had right um let, let me give you another one of them then go on salt burn oh hello that honestly i've i've watched it i'm i'm halfway through second watch oh really yeah and i'm watching it with my my partner as well so it's all <laughs> you almost find yourself sitting there trying not to let her see you grimace at the stuff that's coming yeah. Yeah. so like i'm i'm going to say if you haven't seen this film please like fast forward the next 30 seconds to a minute. There's five things that jump out for me in this film that absolutely sort of like sent me just in terms of being like, what? the bath sequence, the grave sequence, the murder on the dance, <laughs> the murder on the dance floor sequence, the sequence outside when she says it's not the best time of the month. And then the, the, there's uh, one more bit that like really is sort of a little bit, all over the place. One more that I had on the front of my mind. It will come back to me. But it, 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 there are. T I remember you saying you saw it in the cinema and people were audibly gasping. Yeah. People were wincing. People were howling with laughter, and the people were hiding behind their hands. Like that. that this is why for me, this is one of the best films of the year. It's just granted there are flaws with it, and it it perhaps loses its way in a couple of little bits where you go, oh, you probably didn't need to do that. But it is wild. It is a wild ride. And I'm, again, don't watch it on a train. Don't watch it with your parents because that is just makes for two hours of very uncomfortable watching. But it's brilliant. It's amazing. Can I, can I ask you, mate, what did you feel about? Because it, it never rung true in me some of the criticism that it received that it was like oh you know emerald fennel's posh she's making the posh people the sympathetic characters and the working class guy is kind of the baddie did you buy that at all or do you think yeah, that was a kind I, of a know misreading what, I actually, of it I, I actually did a little bit um did you wow uh, yeah it, it, like in a in a kind of strange way in a very non-judgmental way it didn't it didn't feel to me um like it that the, the Emerald Fennel was making the working class person, oh, look, he's the grubby one sort of thing. 
I just thought they were all grubby. Yeah. Like they did, none of them had any redeeming features. But I did feel there was an element of... There was perhaps a, like... An, uh, uh, her, her backstory is quite interesting, right? Like she's... Uh, I believe that she's the daughter of a very, very well-known and well-respected jeweller. Um, mm. And her mum might be an author. Um, and I, I think she possibly went to boarding school, went to private school as a kid. So I think there is something in that. I think there's something in the lens through which you sort of look through. Mm. Um, I think I, 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 was, I went to university and was surrounded by some fairly wealthy people at times during my time at university. And um, I think at times, perhaps the film is is a little bit kind to some of them. At other times, it's kind of quite clearly putting the boot in on all of them. But the main thing to take away is that most of the characters are fundamentally flawed, regardless of their background. And it just sort of shows you the the... For me, I think it was... The film was mainly about what obsession and uh, addiction to the idea of something can do to you. You know, I think Barry Keoghan's character gets addicted to the idea of wanting a type of existence and then goes on this sort of like mad psychotic drive towards it. Um, the, my real problem with it, it, sorry to go full spoiler again, my real problem with it is I don't think you needed the rundown of everything that happened you know, 100% agree. When I was saying to you in the review, when I was saying I don't think it all landed for me in the final third, that was it. 100%. I didn't need it. It was brilliant. It was kind of yeah. like, it was fantastic for the fact that you were like, oh my God, this guy's so messed up. What lengths has he gone to? You know, the, the, the idea of showing you what possibly he could have done. The, the, the standout scene for me in the film is the dinner table scene after, again, spoiler alert, um, after F Felix has just died. Um, and they're all sick. They're trying to eat the pie and they're like, eat the pie. It's just yeah, absolutely yeah. phenomenal. But I have met people. I'm not going to say I've met people that would sit there and eat a pie after their child died, but I've met people. Stiff up a lip though, isn't it? Yeah. That, that kind of have this behavior. Like there is mad shit going on and you're like, nope, we're going to stick to the protocol and we're all going to eat still. Like it, that, that for me, phenomenal film. Absolutely phenomenal. Sorry. I've spoken for ages about that. What's next for you, mate? Um, Let's go Killers of the Flower Moon. Had to do it at some point, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, as good as you were hoping it would be? It's hard to say, isn't it? Um, look, knee, like, gun to my head, no. Um, but it was good in a different way. I was expecting it to be... And, and I think I think to caveat this, is it's all about expectations, right? Yeah. And I think yeah, we yeah. spoke about this at the time. The trailer almost makes out like this is going to be another Goodfellas, another Casino, another Departed, that type of Scorsese film, right? Um, with gangland violence, um, big action kind of probably set pieces and high tension in that kind of way. Really what we had was, you know, a slow brooding story about massacre, about genocide, about murder, about, you know, racism, um, that was very affecting, deeply affecting, um, played out in yes, in, uh, an elongated fashion, but if there's a filmmaker that's earned the right, I hear a lot of this, ah, oh, why is he making a three and a half hour, four hour film? 
It's Michael Scorsese, right? Like he's not going to be around forever. He's not going to be around forever. Ridley Scott's not going to be around forever. The fact they can still be fucked to do this stuff. Just sit down and fucking watch what they want you to watch. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Ultimately, that's my opinion on it. Like, I don't care what shut you think up. about like story and arcs it. and how many pages <laughs> an arc should be at in a certain... Because yeah. you've read a, one screenwriting guide. Like You're looking at one of the greatest filmmakers of all time coming towards the end of his... Not his career, his life right yeah. and he wants to leave a mark on the world as is evident from the ending of this film right he wanted to make a point he wanted to tell this story um and just talking about it again i it sends a bit of a shiver down my spine it was it was a hor- it was a horrible film in so much as what it was depicting what it was showing you was so grim no twists no turns the the story is set out from you know from the very beginning they have to go in infiltrate this community take their money and kill them all there's no redemption for anybody the bad guys are the bad guys it's stated up front and you just watch it unfold and you see it, it it's so strange it's so funny to see because i did see some of the some of the criticism come out of this of being like it still feels uh, like a misstep to have this film from the perspective of the white people. Um, and I, I, I do understand that on a certain level, given the subject matter. But I think in this instance, just in my personal opinion, that was important because it was important to show you the malevolence involved. It was important to show you that there was there was no kind of, it's not some boogeyman. It's not some kind of mysterious kind of um, antagonist that comes in and out of the film to do these awful acts we are with the person doing the awful acts. We are with him. The, the, in terms of the way films are generally structured, we're with the guy we're supposed to be rooting for. Yeah. And every step of the way, he disappoints us and he makes us feel sick. And it makes us feel uncomfortable for the fact that in the first place, we were rooting for him. Because you, you're waiting all along thinking, this is Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, yeah, we, yeah. we're waiting for the hero bit. We're waiting for re- yeah. the redemption bit here. No, he's the piece of shit. And it makes, and I think it's very purposeful because it makes you, at least as a, as a, as a white person watching this film, um, I'd imagine being broadcast in America, you know, if there's going to be a lot of white Americans watching this, they probably are. It's a bit of a rope-a-dope here because I think many, um, I apologize, I'm not 100% what the, what the term is, if you say indigenous or First Nations people um, watching this, know these stories this is their history i don't think enough really let's be honest white people do know about the 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 the, the real insidious nature of let's be honest when we when we use our words here the genocide that's taken place against the the native people in america and yeah. how long it went on for and just how twisted it was you know did that um, did that really smart thing as well of um making you feel as an audience member, like you were invited into these conversations, like you you ever been around like a group of like, I don't know, sort of very kind of like laddie pub chat blokes who are chatting shit about a subject they have no idea about. And you I feel just a bit of seen like, here, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> and you just, you kind of, you kind of stand there and you're kind of like listening along and you're like, that's ah, not great. And then they say something that's kind of like way off and you're like, oh, bit bit weird why have you said that but you kind of just just stood there and you don't really you don't challenge 
things too much and you just kind of go, oh, it's sort of shades of grey and I'm not going to make a not going to make a scene. But you're invited as an audience member to feel like that quite early on in the film because you're like, oh, like you said, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. He's he's the good guy, right? With the exception of the fact that <laughs> the vast majority <laughs> of his um, partners are usually like 40 years younger than him. But um he's the he's the good guy in almost everything and we're rooting for him and and then suddenly like they're having these conversations where they're just sort of like revealing just these little strokes of being horrible horrible people and you're like oh okay this is a bit uncomfortable and suddenly you, you again i think you might have said it at the time but the film doesn't feel like there's any moment where things twist or turn it's just like, it's so drawn out that you kind of suddenly turn back and you go, oh, these people have been horrendous all along, but it's just been done gently over the course of this period that you feel like the film has lured you into it without you ever realising just how bad it was. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You sort of suddenly like, you're then two and a half hours in and you're like, oh my God, these people are awful. They are, yeah. they are evil. But yeah. because you're invited at the beginning to sort of join them on the journey, you're kind of, you're kind of, again, you are rope-a-doped a bit because you're sitting there and thinking, oh, it's sort of Leo DiCaprio. Maybe he'll turn out to be one of the good ones, you know? And he's just not, he's just not. It's, um, yeah, incredible. Really, like, I really, really enjoyed it. The only, the only um, slight downside for me that I remember saying at the time, you want to watch this one, give yourself a good amount of time to watch it um, and get comfy. Uh, yeah. watching it but not too comfy because you may fall asleep like the man next to me did in the cinema if you watch it too late at night <laughs> and also it, as, as I said sort of a minute ago Lily Gladstone for the Oscar oh has my to be God. for me phenomenal phenomenal she's yeah far and away like front runner for me um, I'll do one super quickly because I'm aware that I'm I'm yammering on here uh, are you there God it's me Margaret I love oh, this lovely. film I, on my I, list I loved too. it um, I loved the fact that it was told for a different lens. I love the fact that as uh, a bloke, you were getting to sit there and kind of see the opposite version of what you had as an 11 year old or a 12 year old, where you're kind of going through such a massive change in your life. I loved the comedy within this. I, I for weeks afterwards was like found myself accidentally saying we must we must we must increase our bust <laughs> um which i now use as my motto for when i'm doing anything chest related at the gym um <laughs> and i just thought it was it had a lovely lovely kind of heart to it it had a lot of heart in the film kathy bates amazing in there as the kind of as the grandparent that wants to show off her granddaughter i thought it was gorgeous and i also thought there was a lot in there about the idea of that panic and anxiety that you feel when you have a change in your life as a young person where everything feels like it's the end of the world everything feels so so important and you start to realize at that age like oh okay like this is just one thing in my life as opposed to everything in my life um yeah absolutely brilliant and um i do want to give a shout out to l l graham who played nancy who is kind of like the sort of i would say almost the baddie in that she's kind of she's a bit deceptive and she's a bit mean and stuff but it's just such a brilliant performance it's amazing um so that was that was me right number 17 what you got um i'm gonna be yeah i'm gonna pull it back and i'm gonna be basic and i'm gonna say guardians of the galaxy volume three um be real brief on it but you know i've, I've said on here plenty of times i'm not the biggest marvel fan um 
I do feel like the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy does kind of exist in its own little universe, if you like. Um, it's a bit Star Wars. It's a bit Marvel. It's a bit its own thing. It's somewhere in between. Um, I, I just quite like that space-faring um, caper, if you like. And again, like like with a few films in this, like it's, it's still got the fun. It's got the action. It's got some very good set pieces in there. Um it had a bit of a it had a bit of heart to it as well. Um, and good, the humor is good as well, isn't it? it, it the humor yeah, is good. It, it good. makes it you laugh. It makes you chuckle. Yeah, Chris you know? Pratt's very good in that kind of Star Lord role and everything like that. Um, a, a nice end to it. A nice end to it. And I hope it's not another one of these things that Marvel doing about turn on like they're. I mean. <sighs> The multiverse stuff has allowed them to do this right, but they they brought everything to an end with you know Endgame, um, and to hear that they're bringing back kind of Iron Man and Captain America and all this type of stuff with you know I think it's with the actors as well. I think Danny Junior has signed up so far because they've given themselves this get out of jail free with the multiverse thing. It's a bit lame um, and it takes away from any of the emotional beats that they do manage to build up into these fairly kind of sterile films, which are just, a, you know, getting bums on seats. But I do think the the ending to this movie, it was nice. Um, and hopefully they won't just, like I say, undo that with some kind of multiverse quirk in a few years time because nobody wants to watch their films anymore. Yeah, probably will weren't they but uh, I, 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 but for now I yeah i enjoyed that and i i thought it i thought it was good i thought it was a fitting end to the the kind of guardians of the galaxy thing it felt quite neat didn't it it felt quite yeah. a tidy line underneath it um one from me i'm gonna go for dumb money i really liked yeah, dumb money that, i thought i thought it was really really fun and a really really so the, the key issue with it that i i know you definitely had and i think a lot of other people had in the if if you don't have a, a kind of grasp on the kind of in, there's a lot of intricacy in in shorting as a, a kind of a, an idea or a, a, a financial kind of piece of work it's it, it it is a little bit complex and it is a bit intricate but I really love the idea of the whole I'm sticking it to the man I'm doing something that essentially can flip the turn the tables on the people that are the absolute horrors of the world that are saying, you know what, your money would be better off in my pocket. You know, and I occasionally you get these moments where things like GameStop happen and uh, everyone can just get one over on the people that seem to have the most control over where our money goes. And this this was really, really nice. Paul Dano, brilliant, I thought. Um, very, very likable. And just, again, another really nice, easy film to watch. So that's in there for me. Um, okay, four to go. Got to pick them wisely now, mate. Um, similar, okay, while we're on Dumb Money, similarly to that, I'm going to go Blackberry. Um, you know, a, a movie, when I was told about it, you know, a lot of origin first films at the moment. We've had Air, we've had the Tetris one, we've had The Founder a couple of years ago. I just was kind of getting to this point where I was like, what's a film about a black, you know, the, the making of Blackberry? Is that actually going to be that interesting? Um, I mean, that side of it is all right. That's, that's, that is quite interesting, but don't go into this film as like a really waiting for like a, a movie about the history of Blackberry. Just if you're a fan of 
the thick of it. If you're a fan of Succession, even The Office, um, the UK Office, go and watch Blackberry. Is this kind of this Mac? Well, go watch it in your own home now. Um, <laughs> the kind of mockumentary style, witty dialogue, fast paced back and forths. Um, it's got a lot of it. I think it's, it's, the script is tight. Written and directed by Matthew Johnson, who also stars in the film as well. Um, write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. Um, <laughs> there's a reference for any problematic reference for anyone. Um, but yeah, good film. Like I say, if you like the thick of it, like The Office, like Succession, check this out. It's good. It's fun. Um, don't worry if you're not bothered about the history of Blackberry or not. Just go and enjoy a film about when geeks try and sell technology to ruthless businessmen um and the sort of conversations that happen it's it's good I, fun i'm gonna i'm gonna think about air i'm not sure if i'm gonna put it in um i'll chuck in the whale at this point um it was i don't think it's one of my favorite films of the year but i do think that um it did enough that you were kind of challenged, right? It did feel, I think Mark Commode said it felt a bit like a theatre show. It, it definitely felt like a, a stage show in terms of the way it was set up because the action doesn't really leave um, Brendan Fraser's Charlie's house. But I love Brendan Fraser and I was so, so hyped to kind of see him make a return to because Hollywood was like brutal to him. So seeing him get to come back and make a return and have a lead role and then win the Oscar for best actor was, was a really, really lovely thing. And just for anyone who's sort of sentimental like me and remembers George of the jungle or remembers him in scrubs, for example, um, where he, he was just absolutely lovely and brilliant. Um, or the mummy, uh, he was fantastic and bedazzled was another one. Oh my god um yeah it, it, it was really really nice seeing him get his kind of reward after all this time um and also i will just say uh sadie sink who weirdly wasn't um wasn't nominated for much in terms of stranger things i actually think the episode of stranger things with um kate bush's running up that hill was one of the best episodes of any sort of series last year and it didn't really get put forward for much and it was again cut through culture absolutely incredible and i think she's amazing and i thought she was very good in this as well i'm I'm just going to cheat here mate because on joint 20th because you've sort of broken the rules a little bit i thought we said we weren't going to do oscar ones so i'm going to tuck tar and <gasps> fablemans in alongside the whale here oh my That's god it. yeah of course okay fine <laughs> fine so we can put Tar and Fablemans in here as well. But, but that's good because it gets me to talk about other... No, no, but don't put them as part of our 23. Just just, just tuck them in. They're all 20 adjacent. Shall I shall I remove this then? Shall I remove... Should we go... Okay, we'll do 20 adjacent. So Tar, Fablemans and The Whale. They can go in at number 23. They can be our sort of like 23rd, <laughs> which means that you've got, you've got one of... How many choices left to go? So if we've got um, that at 23... That means that you, we've got one of three left. What are you going to go with, mate? Um, oh, you see, it's precious, precious real estate right now. Um, there's a few that are, that are floating around that I'm like, oh, I need to talk about one of these. Um, 
what I might have to do is I might have to give you one that I might not talk about one that's actually going to be in my top 10. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to Go give you then. evil dead rise. Um, okay. you, you, if you've watched the originals, you'll have a bit more of an idea of what's going on, some of the lore and everything like that. But again, you don't need to have, I think this is kind of rebooting the evil dead franchise in some respects. Um, it's, it's it's a film that is both grim and bleak and horrible, but at the same time, so funny and kind of bright. In other bright, maybe isn't quite the set of the word I'd use, but it's, it's it, it retains a lot of what made the original Evil Dead movies so brilliant. Um, it has some of the most revolting horror set pieces. Um, I've seen in a very long time, real kind of wince-inducing stuff, um, as well as just some brutal, brutal. I mean, one of the one of the famous lines that's used in the trailer is when some kids are <laughs> asking where their possessed mother has gone to. The demon responds, "Mummy's with the maggots now," which, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just that kind of gives you an idea of what the movie's like. Horrible film, but really good fun at the same time. Um, so yeah, I, I would say it's one to one to check out. Lovely stuff. Um, right, I'll I'll blast through one very quickly. Leave the world behind. I'm going to chuck in. Wow, it's okay. available on a late one. Yeah, it's available on Netflix. I quite like the ideas in this. Um, it's not up there for me in my top ten, but I just think it's one of those where. You can kind of sneak it in and um, and very easy watching. And the concept, basically, what would you do if you were out of town and basically the end of the world came? Um, it's got some flaws. It's got some bits in it that are, that are perhaps a little bit off. But the concept is really, really nice. It, it's a good challenge. It's a good watch in terms of challenging yourself to think, what would I do in that situation, which I really, really like, which means that you get dibs on the last one, mate. What are you going to pop in? Do you know what I'm going to do, mate? For for old time's sake, because a bit like with Mission Impossible, I think it's a, a movie that didn't get a fair crack of the whip while it was in no, the No, you're not. I'm going to go Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I'm going to chuck him in there. The old dog, give him one last ride off into the sunset. He's, uh, look, it was, it was a silly movie, but you know what? They're all fucking silly movies. I I I saw a brilliant like tweet about it of people being like, I hear some people find it a bit silly (laughs) that in the Dial of Destiny, Indiana Jones at the end of the movie time travels i wish it was a bit more realistic like the time he opened up the ark of the covenant <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and unleashed god's wrath upon the nazis do you know what i mean like it's very uh, good yeah very you know. good oh well that's not there's a good way to it's a good way to end so look i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you the kind of right of um sort of like what would you call it first dibs on this then as well you tell me what is your top 10 of the year in reverse order, please. At number 10, I'm assuming Purdy's going to drop some music in there now. <laughs> At number 10, <laughs> I'm going to go talk to me. 
Um, okay. Didn't talk about it in the 23, but yeah, great. Brilliant Aussie horror film. Spoken about it on the main pods. Check out the review there. And number nine, Saltburn. Okay. Saltburn at nine. Edition. At number, number eight, eight, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Very nice. At number seven, The Killer. At number six, Rye Lane. Oh, here we go. At number five, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Wow. Oh my god, our lists are so different. Go on, number four. And number four, Past Lives. Four! Mm. And number three, Pearl. <laughs> number two. Number two, didn't talk about it in my 23, but spoke about it a couple of weeks ago on the pod, listened to it there, Anatomy of a Fall. Ah! Oh. Do you know what? Film. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna take this back because I completely messed this up in the sense that I put in one I was supposed to not put in, and I put the whale in. So at 24, I'll put "Move the Whale" tar and Fableman's, and I'll put "Anatomy of a Fall" on our 20, <laughs> on our 23 because okay. that's a disgrace that I messed it up that badly. So "Anatomy of a Fall" was two. Number one was. Come on. Sloppenheimer. It was. Okay. Loved it. Give Killian the Oscar. Give it to him now. Okay, right. Let me give you mine. This is so, so different. Uh, Number 10, No Hard Feelings. Number 9, Dumb Money. Number 8, Barbie. Number 7, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Number 6, Passages. Number 5, I had Killers of the Flower Moon. At number four, Rye Lane. At number three, Saltburn. At number two, Oppenheimer. Oh, it's got to number one. Number one, Past Lives. Done it, you big softy. I, I, I feel like it. I, and I feel I, I'm very aware that with my That's list, a like that—that that is the thing that comes across. You absolute soppy bollocks. But no, it's a very I affecting think past life's going to be. I think it's going to be in there. I think it's going to be talked about. Um, look, we, we we've done a we've done a, a very solid session there on our on our films of the of the year, and I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um, reminder at BYOB Pod on the social channels. We're going to be back with another episode for you. Um, a bit of a brief one to enter us into 2024 where we're going to pick our first film of the year to watch as well as uh, a little review of The Holdovers, which we've already both seen. Um, and then some films for you to look out for in 2024 as well. Um, what a joy to be back, mate. And I'm so, so glad that we, we got in a, a chance to talk about some of those films again. Yeah. There are some really, really nice ones in there. Yeah, there are. It's nice, it'd be nice, be nice revisiting them. What a treat. Okay, we shall see you in a few days' time for the films to look out for in 2024. Bye-bye-bye-bye-bye. Bye.